Hi, you are now listening to a sermon from Harvest Community Church in Hoffman Estates, Illinois. Today you will hear a sermon from Pastor Frank Pizor. So without further ado, here he is. Good morning, Harvest. Welcome to our worship service online this Sunday morning. I wish I could say it's good to see you, but I can't see anyone except Joe sitting over there. Um, But thanks for coming, and I hope and pray that... Today, God speaks to our hearts. I know that usually when I preach, I have to preach to myself. So if you hear something in there that might be getting personal, just remember that I'm probably speaking to myself more than I am speaking to you. Today, I want to talk about the priority of worship from Haggai chapter 1. Now, it's been uh, almost 13 months since Settle in Place started. And I have to admit, especially as an introvert, When I heard the news of Settle in Place, I was absolutely excited. In my thinking now, I had the time to actually slow down, spend some more time with God, and reflect. And in the beginning, at least for March and April, uh, I felt really good. I felt like I, I was growing. I was actually spending more time with God, becoming more reflective of who I am, of who He is, and of my faith. And uh, ultimately, even when I was reading reflectively, I was taking notes. And not just notes for the sake of of taking notes, but actually trying to get a little bit deeper in what I was actually reading. And then it hit. I'm not sure when and I'm not sure how, but suddenly I became fixated on doing as much as possible. I moved away from being reflective to being active. And I started doing video devotionals, sometimes roasting some of the youth group leaders, leading small group Bible studies, and anything else I could do to be busy because something had come over me and the thought of I need to earn my pay during this time period. I need to work really hard consumed me. And so I was and stayed busy with my stuff, my stuff, which is key to understand, rather than focusing on my growing relationship with God through worship. Now, unfortunately, after 13 months, I don't feel as close to God as I expected to from last year. Again, when Settle in Place came into place, I was like, wow, this is great. So much time. And yet, so much time has passed, and I don't feel like I've grown closer. Now, don't get me wrong. This year, for me personally, I felt was a great year in ministry. I feel like I spent more time doing actual person-to-person ministry than I have in years. And so I've really enjoyed the last uh, 13 months. But when I come to this message, speaking to myself as I'm going to look at Haggai chapter 1, I feel like I have failed to prioritize worship. Now, if you're like me, and I don't know if you are, I don't want you to be afraid of this. Because we're not alone. I think this is not something that has happened in the here and now, but it's happened in the past. It's happened in biblical history where people have been given something by God to worship him, and yet we failed to prioritize that worship as we got busy with other stuff. So if you have your Bibles with you, which I'm hoping that you do, but you'll also have it here as well, turn with me to Haggai chapter 1. Now, Haggai chapter 1 is a loaded chapter. In fact, this short book, just two chapters long, 
is an extremely loaded book. There's a lot of things that we learn about God, and there are also a lot of things that we learn about ourselves. Just a, a, a few examples. For instance, when we read Haggai chapter 1, we can learn that when we seek to do what God wants us to do, there will be opposition. Because when we want to do what God wants us to do, it's not going to be easy. And so opposition arises. We can also learn that when we seek to do what God wants to do, we need to keep that work alive by remaining at our most vigilant spiritual best. In other words, to keep that work, to keep that fire going, you have to keep feeding it. That's another lesson we can learn from Haggai 1. But we could also learn that when God speaks to us, even when he rebukes us, he does so in order to bring us back to worship. There's so much here, but I don't want to focus on that today. I want to focus on something a lot more clearly, and I want to focus on just putting worship as the, not A, but the priority in our lives. So I'm going to look at three things today. I'm going to look at what worship is not. Then I want to look at what worship is. And then finally, I want to show why worship should be such a priority in our lives. Let me read for us from Haggai chapter 1. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai, the prophet, to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, the governor of Judah, and to Joshua, Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? And then slip down to verse 8 really quick. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. Well, the first thing I want to talk today about is worship is not about a building. Let me repeat that. Worship is not about a building. When you read this chapter, you're kind of wondering, where am I going with this? Because the Lord Almighty has a complaint. You see, when the people had returned from exile, and they'd returned to Jerusalem, God's intent for them was to rebuild the temple in order to enter into worship, the worship of God as he intended. <clears throat> Unfortunately, at the time of writing Haggai chapter 1, 16 years had passed since the temple foundation had been laid. But the work had stopped due to opposition. And they hadn't picked it up since they had faced that opposition. So basically, they have this foundation laid. It's out there. They're still doing the temple sacrifices, but there is no actual temple that's there. So the Lord Almighty raises a question. He says, where is this house that you're supposed to build for me? What's happening? And the, and the people answer what? They say, well, we don't have the time. We don't have the time. Verse 4 says, Is it time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? I mean, God, God is saying, you know, you are saying the time hasn't come. We, we, we don't have the time. We're so busy. We have so many things that we have to do. But God says, well, hold on a minute. Let's think about this. You're telling me that you don't have time, but this verse 4 says that you're living in paneled houses. Now, I don't know how many of you were around in the 60s and the 70s and the 80s. Uh, back in those days, paneling was cool. It was um, fashionable. So when you had paneling, that basically means you had some good cash. 
you had some good money. And uh, so what, what's going on here is that these people are, are building their homes. They're making their homes, homes look really nice. They're taking the time to do this. And yet they're responding to God and saying, God, we just don't have the time to rebuild the temple. And so God is raising this question and saying, hey, now hold on a second. I have this complaint. I brought you here so that you would rebuild the temple, that you would enter into worship as I intended it to be. I gave you all the resources that you needed, and yet it seems to me, rather than facing that opposition and trusting me to move beyond, you've stopped. You've started to focus on your lives and what you need to get done in your house, and yet you've forgotten that your main priority, your biggest priority in life is to worship me, is to worship God. And they had forgotten that. Now, when we see that, we go, well, you're telling us that worship is not about a building, and yet God is still complaining about the fact that they don't have a building. But we need to go or probe at least a little bit deeper, because what really is God saying? Because I don't think God is saying, hey, I'm upset that you haven't built this building for me. Remember, the earth is God's footstool. Okay, so God's pretty big. And I don't think he's worried about whether he has this small little building in which he can reveal himself because he reveals himself throughout all of creation. So I really don't think that his complaint is, you haven't built me this building. I think the complaint, if we dig deeper, is the fact that people have stopped, the people have stopped obeying God and haven't built the temple. And so worship can't happen. You see, to God, the issue is this. It's not the building it's the worship. You have actually stopped worshiping me. There's a distance that's grown between God and his people. And you can see it in verse 2. Thus says the Lord of hosts. What does he say? He says, these people. Now, if you read through the Old Testament, many times God says, my people, my people, my people. But in this instance, he says, these people. There's a distance. It's kind of like this. And parents do this pretty frequently when you go out somewhere and your kids are doing something that they shouldn't be, and whether it's the mom or the dad, they go, hey, your kids, those kids. In other words, we're saying, I'm not, not my kids, man. Uh-uh. It's, it's your kids that are making the trouble. It's something that you've done. You need to correct. And what God is saying is, listen, there's this distance. I cannot call you by people. There's something that has separated. So you are these people. So there's this distance here. And so God's complaint is not, hey, get the building done because I need a building. Not get the building done because I need a summer home or whatever it is. It's get the building done because there's a heart issue that's going on here. The heart issue is that you are not worshiping me as you are supposed to. It is why I brought you out of exile. It's why I brought you to Jerusalem to worship me as I attended in a building that you would build. Yes, a building is a part of it, but worship is not about the building at all. Think of it this way at Harvest. For the last 12 years, here are the places that we have worshipped. We have worshipped online, outdoors, in a warehouse, and a high school cafeteria. These are not designated sacred spaces. They're just places. And I don't think God is in heaven going, you know, Harvest really hasn't worshipped me since they left that AFC building because they don't have a real sacred space building. Because worship is not about the building. Worship 
is about something a little bit more deeper than just being in a building. For them, making sacrifices. For us, singing, making sacrifices with our lives as well. So what then is worship? There's a definition that I have here. It's this. Worship is acknowledging the person and the presence of God and responding with praise, thanksgiving, and obedience. You can read that for a second. Let that sink in and I'll read it again. Worship is acknowledging the person and the presence of God and responding with praise, thanksgiving, and obedience. To me, when I read Haggai chapter 1, when God complains that they have not built a house, it doesn't mean that they've stopped worshiping. I'm pretty sure that they were still worshiping. The sacrifice rituals were still happening. There still was this uh, system that they were still going through, which they were calling worship. But God was saying, mm, no, that's not really worship to me. Because even though you're attending services, you've actually stopped obeying me. When we stop obeying God, we actually stop worshiping, even if we sing, even if we carry through with all the rituals that we have, even if we go to small groups, even if we do whatever we do in order to spend time with God, whether it's for a walk, uh, whatever, all that stuff without obedience lacks worship. And that's why I think, as you'll see in the slide, that I have actually put in bold letters that idea of obedience. Because I think for most of us that worshiping God is something for, that, that we perceive as, as singing, giving thanks, uh, um, hearing the word and responding to that. And yet we really truly miss the point of what worship is. Now, now let's look at these verses again. Uh, verses 3 and 4. The word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. And he said, It is time for you yourselves to dwell in your panel houses while this house lies in ruins. Okay? That's the first part. And then slip down to verses 12 and 13, and it reads this way. Then Zerubbabel and Joshua, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God, and the words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. And he said, I am with you, declares the Lord. Now, remember, God's call to the people is to get out of this exile that they were in and to get to Jerusalem, rebuild the temple, and to actually worship God as was intended. Now again, let me say this, just to stress this, all too often, we mistake attending a worship service. Here's the key. We mistake attending a worship service, even an inspiring worship service, without worship. You see, I think to myself, um, I have worshiped when the songs resonate with my emotions. Now, I know many of you might see when I say the word Petra, you think, well, why are we talking about Peter? Why are we talking about rocks? But Petra was a band uh, back in the 80s, and it was one of my favorites. And they had some really good songs. And I've been listening to a Petra song, um, uh, and it's done. It's a remake by a, a woman named Catherine Mullins. And the song is supposed to be like four minutes and 32 seconds. But she stretches it out to like 10 and a half minutes. And to me, I feel like when I listen to that song, like I've entered into worship because it, it resonates the way I want to worship. It, it, it strikes me. So I'm thinking, wow, I've really entered into worship because she's sung and I follow, and that's great. 
Or, or even, I, I feel like I worship when I'm listening to a message, even like a lot of times when I listen to Pastor Dave or Pastor Stan, and I go, wow, that was really inspiring, or that was really insightful, and I think, wow, I've really entered into worship because of that. And again, I'm not saying anything about them, I'm just talking to myself here. And, and when, when I go through those things, I think to myself, wow, I've really worshiped. Well, the thing is, if we look at our definition, worship doesn't end at praise and thanksgiving. It doesn't even end by being inspired or resonating with our emotions. Worship ultimately ends with obedience. You see, if worship doesn't end with obedience, what then is the difference between a rock concert and actually worshiping God? I mean, I've been to rock concerts. In fact, I think back in 1983, my wife and I attended the same uh, Journey concert, Brian Adams Journey Conference. What was that? But uh, attended that same concert. And was exci- I mean, I enjoyed the concert. I still remember it. I still remember the T-shirts, the Journey T-shirts that I found under the car. And I took them because I saw somebody throw them under there because he couldn't bring them in. And, and it's a whole, whole different situation. But that whole idea of I, I, I experienced, in a sense, like joy, uh, pleasure, excitement from that concert. But did it move me? Did it change me? Was it worship? No, no, and no. Real worship causes us to respond with praise and thanksgiving and obedience. Now, please, don't misunderstanding. I'm not saying that you can't connect to God through music. It's important. It's necessary. I'm not saying you can't find the Word of God insightful and inspiring. It is. What I'm saying is that worship isn't worship until we obey what God wants us to do. Obedience, if I read Scripture correctly, is the capstone of worship. You can't sing and then go sin. And I, I remember growing up as a little kid when I used to go to confession, feel really bad, and uh, uh, confess my sin to the priest. I would say what I needed to say, and I, w- I would feel clean. I'd feel great. It's like, wow, this is awesome. And then when I leave, I would go back to living the way I was. Did I really experience confession? Did I really experience forgiveness? Did I really experience worship? I highly doubt it. Why? Because it, it's, it's about obedience that when you... Hear God speak to you. You do what he actually says. And I think that's all throughout scripture. Read Isaiah 58. Read 1 Samuel 15, 22. Just as a few reference points. And even here in Haggai chapter 1, I think God's complaint is pretty simple. Without obedience, you're not really going to worship me. You can have your worship services. You can do your worship rituals. You can do all the things that you're supposed to do. But if you don't obey me, especially from the heart, you really haven't entered into worship. Now, that sounds a little bit hard. And I think God is speaking some strong words to the people in the times of Haggai. And I think they are hard words. But this is a book of hope. You see, God isn't telling the people in Jerusalem. He's not telling the people that Haggai is speaking to us, shame on you. I'm disappointed with you. I'm done with you. I'm sending you back into exile. What he's really doing is he wants to give them hope. He is speaking some strong words. And I'll be honest with you. I need to hear strong words sometimes, not just from God, but from the people around me. I don't want to hear them. I don't like to hear them. I always want to hear kind words, good words, hopeful words. But some of the kindest and most hopeful words are the strong words, the difficult words, the tough words 
that people speak to us when they love us. And God loves his people. God wants to bring his people into worship. He wants to give them hope. And so he says, listen, this is how you have strayed. You were supposed to come back and build the temple. You started, but when you faced opposition, you stopped. You didn't trust me to provide protection. You didn't trust me to continue to provide resources. And it's quite possible the resources that God provided for building the temple, they're now using to panel their houses. God says, that's not good. Your worship is not good. It's missing something. It's missing this key factor of obedience. You see, a key understanding to this book, and I think to God as well, is we need to realize that when God speaks to correct us, he is seeking to restore us. God is calling these people to make worship a priority. He's calling them back to worship. Let this be your priority. When God speaks to us and God rebukes us about our worship, it's not to shame or guilt or crush us. It's to bring us to a place of repentance where we make, once again, worship our priority. So we know what worship is not. It's not about a building. And we know what worship is. It's acknowledging the person and presence of God and responding with praise and thanksgiving and, as a capstone, obedience. So when we understand what worship is not and we understand what worship is, the hope is then we can see why we should actually make worship a priority. Let's read Haggai chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, Consider your ways. You have sown much and harvested little. In other words, you did a lot of work to get your farms moving, but you didn't get much. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your full. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them in a bag with holes. In other words, look at all the things that you're doing. You're eating, you're drinking, you're getting dressed, you're working hard, and none of it is filling you. None of it is paying off. It's not working. So thus says the Lord of hosts for the second time, consider your ways, think, reflect. Why is it that you're doing so much and getting so little out of it? It's because you haven't rebuilt the temple. But ultimately, as you think more, reflect more, you're going to realize it's not about the building. It's all about your obedience. You have stopped obeying me, God says to them. So in verse 8, he says, Go up to the hills and bring wood and build a house that I may take pleasure in it, that I may be glorified, says the Lord. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins, while each of you busies himself with his own house. In other words, you're not obeying me. Your priority is your home, your life, your things, your this, your that. You have forgotten that your priority is worship. You are here to worship me. You are in Jerusalem to worship me. You are in your place to worship me. Verse 10 continues on. Therefore, the heavens above you have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, and on all their labors. In other words, no matter what you do, it will not prosper. In fact, 
in a sense, what I'm hearing God say is, I'm going out of my way to make sure that you understand it will not prosper. Because without you worshiping me, it's not going to happen. So why should we make priority of worship? Well, if I read the text, it's quite obvious. If you want to have a good, fruitful, successful life, and you really want to experience the good life or the abundant life, then that's why we worship God. Having troubles, worship God. Having troubles in your finances, you know what? Start worshiping God. Having problems with your health, worship God. Having trouble with business or work, uh, worship God. All those things will make it better for us. And so if we look at these passages and we walk away with the fact that if we think worship should be a priority because we want to get our life to be fruitful and successful, once again, we've missed the point of the passage. God is not telling them this to say, listen, I'm disciplining you because I've got nothing better to do and I want to discipline you. And if you want to get out of my discipline, just do these things and you'll be fruitful and successful. That is not the worship that God calls us to. God calls us to himself. You see, what he's doing is saying, these things that are happening in your life are my way of getting your attention to something that's so much bigger than just getting these things. You can have bad health and still worship God if the capstone ultimately is obedience. You can have bad finances. You can have a rough job. Uh, there's a whole bunch of things that could be going wrong in your life, yet you can still worship if you will respond with praise, thanksgiving, and obedience. So it's not the priority of worship because I want to have a good life. I think the priority of the good life is revealed in verses 12 through 14. Then Zerubbabel and Joshua, Joshua, with all the remnant of the people, obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the words of Haggai the prophet as the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's messages. I am with you, says the Lord. And the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel and stirred up the spirit of Joshua the high priest and the spirit of all the remnants of the people. What do we see here? Notice the progression. Notice that real worship has actually happened. God has rebuked the people strongly and the people have said, hold on a minute here. It makes sense. This is why uh, it's not working. God is, is calling us. He's, he's getting our attention through our circumstances so that we take our eyes off our circumstances, which is kind of weird, and focus on him. Because really what happens when they say we're going to do this, they fear God and they, in, in their fear they say, now let's go back to the job that God has given us. Let's obey God. What does God do? God says, I am with you. Our relationship has been restored. Not just on an individual basis, but a corporate basis. The community as a whole. The people have finally begun to restore that priority of worship. Yeah, praise, thanksgiving, rituals, but now followed by obedience. And because of their obedience, God clearly says, I am with you. Not just being with you for the sake of rebuilding the temple. Because that's why one reason why God is there. I'm going to help you do this and I'm going to give you the resources and everything's going to be good but so that they might be a God and his people, not these people, but his people. And what happens? The spirit of God moves. The spirit of God stirs the people. And now they're excited to get back to the work that God would have and has called them to do. They experienced worship. 
Because worship isn't about the building. And the priority of worship isn't about getting on God's good side so we can have our bad circumstances removed from our lives. The priority of worship exists because when we obey God, we see God. Like 2 Corinthians chapter 3 talks about, you see God and that transforms you. It changes you. It makes you into new, a new person. It, it stirs something in you. So that the, the, the priority of, of worship is a priority because it brings us into the presence of God that we might actually experience him. And it's a life-changing experience when we truly enter in to this sort of obedience that we are actually supposed to be doing when God calls us to worship. You see, worship with obedience as a capstone now frees us to actually experience God. You really don't experience God much if you're not obedient. I know that's kind of a hard or strong thing to say, because I think many of us go, how can you say that? I mean, when I sing and I sing these songs, it just touches my heart. And when I hear hear, hear the, the other pastors preach, um, it really stirs and inspires me. But if it doesn't lead us to obedience, God knows. God knows our heart. And he looks at that and says, yeah, that was nice. Kind of like a rock concert can be nice. But it's not real worship. Haggai chapter 1 is God's rebuke of the people telling them that you have forgotten the main thing. You have forgotten your priority as to why you are here. You are here not to live the abundant life, but to worship God. And that's a huge difference. Because many times in our Christian life, when we hear that Jesus has come, that we might have life and have life abundant, we think, that's why I'm supposed to be here. I'm supposed to enjoy life. Jesus says, no. Jesus would say, no, it's not about just abundant life. That's what happens after you truly worship God through obedience. Now, once we know what worship is and what it's not and why we should worship, hopefully we get to a place where we think and consider. Because when you look at verses 5 and 7, as we've seen before, uh, what God is, is telling the people is to consider, to think, to reflect, to go deeper. And I started out with this message with the sense of, you know, when, when COVID first hit, that my life was growing because I was entering into worship, because I was being more reflective, more contemplative, really getting into experiencing God. And then I lost, because I lost the priority, because I have this weird sense of having to perform for people. Um, I have this weird sense of, of um, wanting to please people. And I wouldn't even call it weird because the truth is it's sinful. And so when I get into those sinful patterns and I start doing the busyness of worship, and I forget what the priority of worship is, which is really to obey God in the end, after I have given thanks and praise, but to ultimately obey him, then I miss the point. So for me, uh, I'm I'm torn. Uh, This season of COVID has been good because it's been good for ministry, but I feel like I've really missed the mark because the priority that God had for me, not just because of COVID, but because of all of life, the priority that God may have had for you. We've missed the mark because we haven't come to that place where we have really worshipped God with our lives just for the sake of being with God. To hear his words to say, I am with you. Not I'm going to give you, but I am with you. That should be our heartbeat. The heartbeat that says, I want to be with God. Not I want to get from God. That's my struggle. I struggle with those things. And I think that's why I wandered off 
and I miss that priority. And I need to reestablish that priority in my life. You see, because when I'm looking to get stuff from God, what I'm really saying is, God bless me. Even in the midst of who I am in my heart. And I always struggle with preaching because when I, when I preach, every week I preach, there's always stuff that just distracts me and bombards me. And this week was no different. And I think I would say Mon- Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, even yesterday, Thursday, because we're recording on Friday, just the, the constant weight of, oh my God, I have forgotten this crucial priority of my life. I've become overly familiar with, with a thought life that is, that is full of anger, that is full of envy, that is full of so many things that just aren't right. And so even if I resonate with Catherine Mullen's take on Petra, it's still missing out on what worship is because there's not this obedience. So I want to speak to us. I'm speaking to myself. I'm not just speaking to you, but as a church, what is your priority? What is the priority of your life? Is it worship? Is it worship that goes beyond songs that in, 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 in preaching that inspires and resonates? Does, it, does, does our worship bring us to a place of total surrender, total obedience? God says, I do. Are we in that place? If God has called us to forgive or to love, even the most difficult of people, we don't get exception clauses. And so we can't believe that we are truly worshiping God without that key component of obedience in our lives. Now, as you examine your life, how do you know this is true? I mean, look at yourself. Are there things that God has asked you to do? As I look at myself, I go, yes, he has. And then I have to go, "Mm, but I don't really want to do that. So we'll not do that now. And I'll just trust that God's going to forgive me. And I can see God speaking to me as he would to the people during the time of Haggai and saying, you've missed the point. It's not about something you do only. It's, and I don't want to take away from doing stuff. It's, it's all about a heart that wants to meet with God. And then finally, if you know that you're in a place where worship is no longer a priority, are you willing to do whatever it takes to make worship that priority? So I want to encourage you today, if God has spoken something to your heart, that's great. I know that he's spoken to my heart, and I feel like I'm in a bad place. Not like a bad, bad place, like it's the end of the world kind of bad place. But I'm in a bad place because I've come to a place where I've forgotten what the priority of worship is. It's not just praise. It's not just thanksgiving wrapped up in inspiration. But ultimately, it's about obedience. Am I obeying God? Are we obeying God? Are we doing what God has called us to do? If we aren't, I think we learned from Haggai chapter 1 that we really haven't entered into worship. And worship doesn't become the worship that God wants and intends unless we can learn to obey and follow Jesus. Let's pray. Father, forgive us for the ways which we have forgotten the priority of worship. The ways in which we have actually walked away from that unwittingly, probably unmaliciously, that's even a word, but we've done it. Some of us may have just wasted the last 13 months of the opportunity to spend more time being with you. And I I can see areas and pockets in my life where I'm like, wow, why did you spend so much time doing that? And I ask that you would cleanse me from that. I ask that you would forgive me from that. 
and I would pray that I would surrender. I would pray for our church to surrender. Our lives are not our lives. They are yours. Anything less than living for you, anything less than actually walking in obedience, as I understand what your word is saying, is not worship. And worship is what you've created us for. I pray because you're a God of hope. You're a God who gives hope. You're a God who speaks to his people because he wants to give them hope and he wants to restore them to worship. And that's the place I pray that we end up at the end of this worship service, that it's not just a worship service, but it's actually been a time of worship, that when we pack our bags or get ready to do whatever we do after an online service or an in-person service, that we actually walk away with a sense that God I will trust and I will obey. In Jesus' name, amen. Harvest, let me give this as a, as a benediction. As you read Haggai, may we be, by the power of the Holy Spirit, just like them. May we return to the heart of worship, obedience to God. May he respond with the I am with you, stirring our hearts to live faithfully for Jesus in our world today. Amen. Thanks for listening to the sermon from Harvest Community Church. If you would like more information or have any questions or comments, check out our website at harvest-community.org. Thanks for listening.